If you weren't here last week or if you've missed it, we started a brand new study and we're going through the book of James and the series title is called Real Faith. You look through the book of James, you are seeing an expression and you are seeing what real faith looks like. James is a little different than the other books we have in the New Testament. James reminds us kind of 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 the book of Proverbs. It's very straightforward, very clear, and very black and white, and that's purposeful. Because if faith is the thing that leads to our salvation, if we can only be saved and be made right with God by believing, by grace through faith, then we would want to make sure that our faith is real. Now, we see in the New Testament, this church, we see the scripture telling us to test our faith. We're actually told it is good to pause and it's good to constantly assess and make sure that what you say is true about you is actually true because we can be self-deceived. Jesus said that there's a day coming where many people are going to stand before him. And he says, many, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, right? So they say, Lord, they confess Lord with their mouth. They say, Lord, what did we not prophesy in your name? Cast demons out in your name. In your name, do many wonderful works. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Now, let me ask you this. Is it the people outside of the church who already publicly do not believe that will say, Lord, Lord? You see this, this many. You see this great group of people who were deceived through life, thinking they had real faith. But a time will come when they'll stand before God and it will be revealed to them they never knew Jesus. But more importantly, Jesus never knew them. Now, before you, before you get too scared and you're like, is that me? We should wrestle with that. We should check our hearts. Those people are categorized by only simply being associated with the name of Jesus, thinking that their many wonderful works would get them to heaven and, and, and stamping the name of Jesus on it. The point I'm trying to make is it's okay to test our faith. The book of James does that. If I come to you, if I were to stand up here today, man, I love dogs, man. I I love dogs so much. I just, I just love them, love them. And then every time you see me interact with a dog, I'm like kicking it. What are you going to believe? What is actually true? What's actually inside of me? I, I, no, no, no. I love dogs. Well, uh, you know what, Jasper, let's sit down and talk about what you think. You know, that's not love. Everything that I see happening, like flowing out of you, doesn't represent what you're actually saying. And we're actually going to see through the book of James how he, he says that our tongue can be very deceptive. That's not good enough to just say we believe. The question is, do we actually believe? If you actually believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that's going to show up in your life. What's one of the main ways it shows up in your life? When you go through trials. If you truly believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is everything. When you go through trials, that faith is going to remain, remain. That's the key. And that's why we can be happy when we go through trials and hard times are come because they're not pointless. They're refining us. They're, they're showing that our faith is genuine and they're growing us. So let me remind you, we're going to continue where we left off last week. We're talking about when life hurts and we're going to talk about when life hurts again, because we're still in that same con context of the book of James. So let's look last week at, at what we learned. We learned last week that in the, in the, the hardest times or how you respond determines the type of faith that you have. And then we looked at this when life hurts, real faith sees a reason for joy. Count it all brother. When you bro, count it all joy brothers, when you fall into various trials, 
Real faith, when life is hurting, sees God's pattern of testing. All through the scripture, God has brought his people hardship and allowed that to test them, to show them what's really in the heart. So I allow them to prove that what they say they believe, they actually believe. Pattern of testing. He says, hey, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience, which we, we came to the next thing. See to it that patience wins. The only way through hard times, guys, is through it, not out of it. Through it. And the reality of life is we're going to experience hardship. Absolutely. But God gives us the strength and the resources and the things that we need to get through it, staying faithful to him the whole way. And what we learned last week, as we talked to Wendy, it doesn't mean that you can't hurt. It doesn't mean that it's not going, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that, that we're going to, we're not going to struggle and, and wrestle and we're going to have highs and lows. That's part of life. God does not rebuke us for struggling. And real faith, when life is hurting, sees the point of it all. Let patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the point of why we're here, church. Jesus is making disciples and he wants us to make disciples because he wants people being turned into a new creation and he wants their life to be molded to the image of Christ so we look like him and we impact him like he did when he was on the earth and he's given us the Holy Spirit to, go, to live in us, to help us walk us through life and bring to remembrance everything and every little circumstance that's happening in our life is molding us into the image of Christ. If it is, that's a sign that you have real faith. If every level of experience is making you walk further and further and further away from Christ, if you're tempted by the cares of the world or the pains of the world to walk away, that's a sign that you do not truly believe. I want to remind you of something in John chapter six, Jesus had thousands of people following him. Remember when he fed the the 5,000? Think about that. Jesus is on earth and people are seeing the Messiah, right? They really want him to be king. They're like trying to even force him to be king. And he's having to like slip away and he gets in the morning, says, let's go over to the other side, right? People are just following wherever he goes. So Jesus decides, all right, I'm going to put you to the test. All right. All right. People who are following me, who want me to be king, let me, let me preach to you some truth then. And what does he do? He gets up and he talks about how he is the bread of life. Oh, the bread of life that came down from heaven. Oh, just like in, in the, uh, the wilderness when, when God provided manna for the people, how he, oh, that was a representation of the ultimate bread of life that would come. And if we eat it, we'll never hunger again. But he then continues to go on and he talks about eating his body and drinking his blood, which is kind of gruesome sounding, didn't make sense. But he's talking about a spiritual hunger and those who are filled with me who eat of my body and drink of my blood and how communion even reminds us of that. It's this, it's this understanding that we need him. We must be consuming him and that life is only found in him and his life that he gave away when it is in us gives us life greater than any food. It's the spiritual food that we need. But when Jesus was preaching these things, do you know what happened to the thousands of people who were so ready to make him king? Oh, who can understand this? And they started to just leave, go away. What happened? What happens when you hear the teaching of God's word? Does, does it bring up joy in your heart, even when it's confrontational? 
We only wanting to hear what we want to hear. We only wanting Jesus to be who we want him to be. The, the, the military leader who's going to rise up and dethrone Rome. And when he starts speaking weird and he starts showing love and compassion, he starts showing weakness and he's homeless and he starts spending all this time with lepers and sick, pe- sick people. And, and he's, he's actually showing compassion to even the Pharisees and the Romans and Samaria, Samaria. Oh, I can't, oh. This isn't who the Messiah is supposed to be, right? And you learn a little bit more and more and more you learn, the more you realize I don't want anything to do with him, right? What happens over time, guys? The testing. And so the people leave Jesus. They leave him. And Jesus says this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turned and he said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Let me show you what he says. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy one of God. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you? The 12. And then you see through the 12 spreads out to the rest of the world. And here we are thousands of years later disciples of Jesus, professing disciples of Jesus. But the test is now reaching us like it would anyone who claims to follow Jesus. Hard times coming, life hurting, hard teachings coming. Jesus may be speaking in riddles, not understanding at all. What are you going to do? It's like Jesus is saying, Hey, there's plenty of people leaving me today. Do you want to go away as well? What are you going to say? Even if you were facing losing everything in life, you would say, where am I going to go? There's nowhere else. I'm going to turn away from you and turn back to what? An abyss of darkness and hopelessness? No. No, I'm staying with Jesus. Passing the test. I understand that last week this is, this is something that you can't muster up in you. That's why we've, we've trying to speak about this, uh, this section of scripture in a very specific way. But we're not trying to say, go and do this. There are commands that we see through James. But James is revealing, no, no, test yourself. Is this true about you? Monitor. Look, look at the, the litmus test that we're getting and see, is Jesus really inside of you? Therefore, don't, don't just get mad and try to run away when life gets hard. See the purpose of it and see what God's doing. But here's what we know. And here's what God knows. Even last week, when you, when you bring about things like this, like whew, mature spiritual thinking that's very counterintuitive to our flesh, sometimes we still don't get it, which brings us to what we're going to talk about today. So when life hurts. Look at this next thing. When life hurts and I still don't get it, real faith does what? And this is where the scripture is going to supply us some help for when last week is really hard to apply to our life. Man, I, I see it. I know I should count it joy. I know I should see the testing. I know I should let patience win. I know there's spiritual growth, but man, I really feel like I'm on the edge and like, like, like I can't do that right now. What do I get? What do I do? I still don't get it. Still not there. That's life. That's part of it. Hey, God's even got, got a way for us to handle life when it gets that way. Here's what we're going to see. When life hurts and I just don't get it, then what do I do? When life hurts and I just don't get it, the first thing he's going to tell us this is to ask for wisdom. Look at James 1 in verse 5. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. You see that word lacks there? Lacks, look right back in the verse before it. 
He says, you're going through hard trials, letting patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete. Same word, here we go, lacking nothing. So then right away he says, hey, but listen, none of us are truly there. We're all lacking something and we may be lacking the understanding and the wisdom that we need to be able to accept the truth that we're hearing when we go through trials still lacking the wisdom I need to even handle this teaching. And I don't want to be like the thousands that left when Jesus taught. I want to learn. So what do we do? Okay, you may be there, right? You may feel like there's nothing else you can do for whatever it is you're going through right now. Ask God to give you wisdom. Let's talk about wisdom for a second. I want to give you a definition of wisdom. I've tried to narrow it down to the simplest understanding of when the Bible talks about wisdom, what it actually is. And think about it like this, having right knowledge along with the ability to apply it to life. So wisdom isn't just, I know the right answer. Wisdom involves knowledge, absolutely. But it's when you have the right answer, but then you're able to take the answer and you're able to live it out in your life. That's totally different. That's when wisdom comes in. Wisdom is allowed, is, is able to do with the knowledge what it needs to. And so when we're being told to count it all joy when life's hard, be patient, always, yeah, I might be able to like sit here and quote all the verses, write a sermon. I might even be able to tell you guys what to do, but it doesn't matter if I don't have the wisdom to actually be able to apply that to my life. And I've got to be willing to be honest with myself, like, God, being a hypocrite here, man, I'm just saying these things, but I don't actually do them. Do you know what I'm lacking in that moment? Wisdom. You know what God says? I know. Ask me, ask me for wisdom. So ask for wisdom. Let me tell you a little bit more about wisdom. I I went through it and I found some verses that I want to, I want to show us how the Bible talks about wisdom in kind of a quick, just overview. James three verses 13 through 18, which is in the same book we're in. So James is, is going to be big on wisdom. Here's what he says later on in the book. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom, if it's really in you, is going to manifest itself, right? The book of James is really quick. Hey, again, you may say it, say you have wisdom, may say you have faith, but if what's coming out of you, as Jesus says, a bad tree can only produce bad fruit. So what's coming out of you shows you really where your identity is and who you are, who we are. Christians still struggle, still struggle with sin, still mess up, but God's doing a work with inside of us. Let me give you some other verses about wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6, we learn that wisdom comes from the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom, which is this important thing that James has just said that we desperately need for every moment, but it comes from the Lord. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Look at this. Wisdom requires listening and accepting. Proverbs nineteen twenty says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Oh, you mean there's something I can learn now, wisdom I can learn now that will help me for maybe when I'm going through a trial? Absolutely. It's better to gain the wisdom now and be prepared for it. 
Wisdom requires listening and accepting. Proverbs 12:15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Lord, help us not to be the person who finds wisdom from our own heart, our own well, right? We don't listen to anything else or anyone else. We definitely don't listen to you because we can think we can find every answer in our own heart. Let's not be that person. Wisdom also this overcomes obstacles. Look what he says here. This is an interesting verse. God says four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. So he's using the word small, like an obstacle or a disadvantage, but even being disadvantaged and weak and small are exceedingly wise. And here's what he shows. He gives examples of creation. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Ants are extremely small, but together they're able to do something that like, wow, it's really even hard for us to do. And he says this, yet they provide food in the summer. The rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs, which is impossible for us to do. We fall, we can't, it's, it, yet they can make their homes in the cliff. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. How can they have such order, such continuity, such unity without having commands? And then he says this, the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in the king's palaces. Try to just go up into the king's palace. Just walk on in and see what happens. Can't get in there. Pretty hard, pretty protected. Yet the lizard can go in there. You see, he's making, he's making this example of small things who have obstacles are able to come them. And he's saying the reason they are because they are exceedingly wise. So what obstacle are we up against? We are up against life, hard times, situations that are constantly coming to us that are testing us and really what's going on behind the scenes is there is a spiritual lesson that we're either failing or passing. There's something being deteriorated in our faith or being grown in our faith, revealing. And wisdom is what we need when we're lacking it, when we're trying to go through it. And we're like, I just don't get it. God's like, yeah, but I'm here to give you what you need. And if you're lacking that understanding and that wisdom, and it's really hard to accept what I've told you, pause and ask me. Ask for wisdom. And here's what's so good. The next thing, real faith, when life hurts, real faith and just still isn't getting it, ask for wisdom. But then this real faith will freely receive what it's asking for. This is so beautiful. Just one that I can see the gospel all over this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Look what he says here. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We got to unpack this for a second. We're talking to God. We're asking him for something. And then God is telling us, if you ask me for wisdom, the thing that, that I want to give you, I stand ready to give you. I want you to know a few things about me in your asking. He's, I want you to know that I give generously. So I'm like, oh, let me give you just a little bit. Let me, I'm going to hold back. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be, ooh, I'm going to be stingy. Well, I've got limited resources. And so, ah, yeah. He's like, no, I give generously. Like, I'm just like sitting here re- ready and waiting. And I'm going to give it from the fullness of my storehouses, which are limitless. He wants you to know, I'm going to give generously. Which means I'll, I'll give you as much as you need. But, but when we use the word generous, when we describe someone as generous, 
we're, we're talking about an attitude or a characteristic. Man, like they're just so, they're just so open and ready to give, right? Someone who's generous. Is God open and ready to give? Let's, let's think about something for a second. We just talked through the book of Genesis and we talked about how like at the beginning, we as human beings said, God, we want to do things our own way and we left God, left him. Wages of sin is death and even God had his own standard. He said, you'll surely die and we began to die. We died spiritually and began to die physically. But what do we see through scripture? God constantly being generous and making a way, pursuing a people that are not pursuing him, pursuing a people that are his enemies, pursuing a people that shake their fists at him, pursuing a people who are sinning and doing things that are worthy of death, worthy of hell. And God is making a way constantly. And what does he do? He gives us his only son. In the baptisms, what was it? What was uh, uh, Josiah's favorite verse? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, loves us so much, that he gave his only begotten son, his only son gave him to us. And, and, it, and the manner in which he gave him was so beautiful and so filled with sympathy and compassion. I'm going to make my son enter life just like you and live in the bodies you live in and experience the hunger and the thirst and the pain you experience And he's going to go through it all perfectly without sin. And he's going to willingly lay down his life for you. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. No one takes it from me. I lay it down willingly. It's beautiful. Jesus dies a horrendous death on the cross, experiencing his father turning his back on him, screaming out, why have you forsaken me? Over six hours hanging on a cross and then he breathes his last breath and he dies making atonement for the sins of us and then rises from the dead, sits at the right hand of God and now intercedes for us. You know, first John says he's our advocate. You know what that means? That means God is actively, Jesus is like, he's not sleeping. He's actively working and advocating on your behalf. So anytime like we mess up or something's coming to life, if you're his, he's going to be sitting there like I died for him, her advocating for you over the lies and the accusations of the enemy who's going to be ultimately destroyed once and for all, who has no power over you. And then we're told that his steadfast love endures forever. His mercies are new every single morning. We're told that his grace is like the, and and John, that his grace is like the waves of the seashore. We've received grace upon grace. Think about that. Never ending grace. We're told that, hey, your sin, yeah, is abounding. But guess what? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God generously pouring out all of this undeserved love. And then what happens? We go through trials. Life starts to hurt. We begin to question what God may be doing. And we go to ask him for something. And, and then even in the asking, we begin to think that somehow he's not going to be generous to us. Don't we? We all do it. Struggle with it. Forget Man, this God is generous beyond anything we could ever imagine. Look what he's done for me in Christ. I'm going through something and I need help to see things the way he wants me to see them. And I'm thinking that maybe he's not going to give it to me. If anyone likes wisdom, let him go ask God who gives generous. God wants you to know he's generous and he wants you to know he gives it to all. No partiality. James is going to talk about that in a second. As we go through the book being partial, showing favoritism. No, the generosity isn't just to a few, it's to everyone. So you can't exclude yourself. I'm sorry, you may be beating yourself up. You may be struggling at night. You may be hearing the voices that are excluding you from all this wonderful love from God. 
Just because you're saying that doesn't mean that you're actually excluded. Sorry, God's given it to you too. I'm sorry, I hate to disappoint you. God's there wanting to be generous to you and give it to you as well. And look what he says here, without reproach. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I know he's generous. I know he gives it at all. But man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been struggling with. You don't, know, you don't know how I've been such a hypocrite and such a liar and how I'm living so selfishly. And he says, yeah, he gives it to it without reproach. Which means I don't care. Which means there's nothing you can have done or do that's gonna stop, stop God from giving wisdom to you generously if you're asking for it. Do you know why? Because you're asking for the right thing. God wants you to have wisdom. What do you think when you're struggling and, and, and you're struggling with sin and you're feeling the shame and the guilt, you think God wants you to have more of that? Wants you to like slip into the, into a lack of wisdom. No, God wants us to have this. And when you ask out of the, the, the cry of your heart for something God wants you to have and is try, screaming in the streets for you to have, he's going to give it to you. Which is why you freely receive. You don't just receive because you've met some type of condition. You freely receive. When life hurts and I still just don't get it, I need help. I can ask for wisdom. Real faith will ask for wisdom. And real faith will freely receive. But we have to deal with this next part. Real faith, though, will not doubt will not doubt God in the asking. Look what he says here. He says, and it will be given to him, but, verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. There's a lot of misconception on faith and a lot of wrong teachings on faith. And, and I, I guarantee you there's not a single one of us that doesn't sit here and think about, wow, I, when I pray, I'm like kind of always struggling with doubt. Yeah, that's, that's why the number one thing we could put our time, energy, and effort into is trusting God more. And, and when Jesus was on the scene and he was doing things, that's what he was trying to expose That's why he he allowed such a visual thing of sicknesses and miracles to happen so he could help us to see where we clearly do not believe, right? So they're on the ship and the storm comes and Jesus is there in the boat sleeping and the people are freaking out. And what did they say? What did they say? The issue wasn't necessarily Uh, how strong their faith was. It was what they believed about God in the moment. That was the real issue. Do you not care that we're perishing? Why did their mind go there? Why did their mind go to that doubt about the character of God? And instead of looking over at Jesus saying, oh, he's sleeping. We're good. We're good. I trust him. He's in the boat. He ain't freaking out. Neither should I. Right. But that's just the natural heart, right? We go to the cynical side where we just, we just don't trust God. And Jesus is trying to show that. Yeah, you don't. That's the issue in everything. So he gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says, oh, you have little faith. But then you see the the positive examples, don't you? You see the woman who's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And she says, think about this. She says, if I but touch him, I know I will be healed. And her, her actions, her thoughts, her words, and her actions display real faith. She pushes through the crowd. 
She didn't let anything deter her because she genuinely believed if I can reach Jesus and touch even just the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And what happened? She touched and was healed immediately. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Time and time again, you see this picture of doubt, right? This father who has the son who comes to Jesus, who has been demon possessed, going through this horrible trial just struggling, not able to help, seeing his son throw himself in fire and try to drown himself, having this demon that's causing this, this epileptic response in him. And literally, what would that be like? And he hears the reports of Jesus and he goes and he tries to find Jesus. His disciples can't do anything. So he finds Jesus and he says, what does he say? If you can do anything, please help. And Jesus responds appropriately. If, if, right? He's, he's pointing out the doubt there. For the one who believes anything is possible. And what does the father do? He just falls down and says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, in that moment, the father was able to recognize if my faith is lacking, I need you to even supply the faith that I realize I'm lacking. And what does Jesus do? He freely gives and he helps this man that's struggling with his faith like every single one of us. When we're struggling and we see, man, I'm struggling to trust you in your character, God. And I'm hurting right now and my mind and my faith is telling me that I actually believe you're not good. God, help me. I know I shouldn't believe that. Help me. That's asking for wisdom. Real faith will do that. And if that's happening with you, you ask him, he's going to give it. He's going to help you. He's going to be right there alongside you because that's what he wants you to have. And we cloud it, right? We spend so much time trying to make ourselves feel better. And we just need to spend time really meditating, spending time with Jesus and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, like Peter says. Real faith, when life is hurting and still doesn't get it. It's very important though, this still remains true. You ask God of something and you believe in your heart, yeah, I'm not gonna get it. That's doubting. Real faith doesn't do that because that shows you really don't believe who God is. At the end of the day, it's, it's what we believe about God and it's the faith that we have what ends up saving us. It's what, guards, it's what guards our faith. God guards it for us. I want to show you a couple things. As I was thinking through this and I was thinking about praying and thinking about my own life when I've manifested doubt, I try to think through what are the type of prayers that really show doubt that maybe we can look out for. And I want to show you a few of them. And if you're convicted of any of these, you know what we need to do? Not to feel some, some overwhelming sense of like, I don't believe this is doomed. No, it's thank you, God, for showing this to me. Now, will you give me the faith that I'm lacking? The issue is not this. There's some people who will teach you need more faith. That is not what scripture tells you. Jesus is saying, I just want to see faith the size of a mustard seed. The issue is we have no faith. Some faith, even the littlest amount Jesus teaches, can move mountains. And so what Jesus is trying to do, what God's trying to do is really help us see what's really in our heart, right? Sometimes we think if we have like 90% faith, then that's better than having 20%. Like the issue is we either believe or we don't believe. That's really where it's at. And you see people coming to Jesus all the time with different degrees of faith. The centurion, he, he understood God more. So he understood, I don't have to have you come to me. You can just speak the words and someone will be healed. My servant. And Jesus said, in all of Israel, have I not found faith like this? And the scripture says he was amazed. But what happens for those who still come to Jesus with a little bit of faith? 
They don't feel like they have to touch the hem of his garment. They still receive the healing they're looking for. There's a different measure of faith, but faith is what God's looking for. Look at these prayers we want to look out for that are problematic. The first one is this, the blank prayer. That is the no prayer. Sometimes we just don't pray at all. How many trials and things are you going through right now that you haven't even stopped and prayed for? That's an indication of what you really believe will help you. If you truly believe, like I'm going through something, I'm struggling, and your first effort is try to put all your strength, energy, and effort into it, that says you believe you have the power to handle this trial and get yourself through it. So maybe monitor your life and see, maybe I'm just not praying at all. That might be a, that's a sign of a, of, a, of a doubt in God's character and his ability. Look at this next one. The next one is this, the selfish desire prayer. James talks about this later. He says, you'd ask and do not receive one because you don't ask, but he says you ask and do not receive because you ask selfishly, indulgently, so that you may spend it on your own desires. It's, it's kind of like the, hey God, I uh, want you to do this for me because I want the Lamborghini type. Like I have things in life that I want. I have selfish desires and you're the one who's going to shell them out for me. And I'm coming in an indulgent way, right? So we have those prayers that doubts God because it doubts that what God says is good for us is actually good for us. And we just, we doubt his character and what he's actually there for. He's there to serve us and give us what we want. That's the misunderstanding of God and what he wants for us in his life. The testing God prayer. This is a, this is a tough one. This one, I think we do more than we realize. This is the one that comes to God in a way where it's like, I'm going to, I'm desperate and I need some type of help. So let's try God, right? It's, it's what the people in the wilderness did to God, where they were, they were unable to respond to the things that God was doing and actually believe. And they constantly doubted. And so their, their screams and their desires were always putting God to the test. Let's see if you'll actually do this. And I see this all the time with people who are on the, on the verge of believing, right? Maybe don't believe who don't have salvation, and they, they'll say things like this. Well, yeah, I did try to pray. Prayed for three months straight and nothing happened. Right? That's, that's a sign. They don't actually come to God in faith believing he's the answer. They're seeing if he is by how he'll respond. The testing God prayer. We can't do that. That shows doubt. That's already showing. I don't actually believe he can help. But I'm testing to see if he will. And if he responds the way I need him to, then I'll believe the scripture tells us it is impossible to please God without faith. For we must first believe he is God and that he, he, what does it say? And that he will reward those who diligently seek him. When I'm coming God in prayer, God's saying, I want you to already believe that I am who I am and I will give you when you ask. You have to come believing me. Look at this next prayer. How about the bargain prayer? Hey God, if you this, then I'll this. Right? That doubts God's generosity. Like it's almost like you, 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 you know, the reproach. Like I've got to convince you, God. I've got to convince you to help me. Right? Because what I really believe about you in the moment is you're, you're unattentive to me. And I have to get your attention and you're bothered by me. And you're out there and you're busy. And I've got to kind of, I've got to kind of, you know, I've got to, I've got to, I got to make this worth your while. What, what character of God are you distrusting? Distrusting his generosity and his goodness and his impartiality and his, his infinite desire to want to give you what you ask. How about this? The guilting prayer. God, if you don't, it's 
kind of like the opposite. It's kind of like the bargain prayer, but it's more like, it's more like, God, if you don't do this, then I'm, I'm going to blank what, what, right? We say that in our anger and our frustration where it's almost like we're, we're trying to put God on the stand and say, Hey, Hey, if you don't come through for me, right? That's a very conditional. Have you ever had a friend like that? That makes you feel that way. If you don't do what I want you to do for me, right? They may not say that, but they're always kind of like hinting like, yeah, you're going to do what I need you to do. Or like this friendship's going to be in trouble. And God doesn't do that to us, but we do it to him. Don't we? How about this next prayer? The many words prayer. Actually, we're told in scripture that they're, the pagans think that they'll actually be heard by their many words. There's this repetition. I got to keep saying it over and over and over again. Why? Right? Because like, it's like this power I've got to tap into and I've got to convince God to listen to me and he'll hear me if I, if I keep saying it over and over and over. Again, doubting that God's there, doubting that God's listening, doubting that he's actually going to hear you and do something about what you're asking for. How about this one? The routine prayer. This is probably the most common one. How, we're smart enough to know that we should be praying. We actually even agree, I can trust God. We even mentally assess, say that that's what I must do. I must believe God. And so we go to God routinely praying, but in the back of our mind and in our heart, we just don't believe anything's going to happen. So it's, it's routine. We do it because we know we're supposed to, but like we, we really don't believe anything's going to come from it. Doubt. And then look at this last one, the hidden sin prayer. The scripture says that there are some times where God does not listen, right? God's very, very specific to husbands. When you've been harsh with your wife, your prayers are hindered. But then we also see in scripture that when we're hiding iniquity in our heart, when there's hidden sin there that we haven't get to him, given to him, God's like, man, I don't like our, our relationships on pause until you deal with that thing. But we keep hiding it, right? Keep hiding it. God will not listen until we deal with what needs to be dealt with. And then we can continue on in the relationship with him. But that kind of presumes upon God's grace. Well, he's good to me. He'll hear me anyway. I don't need to confess this. No, you got to deal with that sin first. You got to give it to the Lord. Let him deal with it. Ask him for forgiveness. Prayers of doubt to look out for. If we look back at James, he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Imagine a boat that's just stuck out in the sea, no rudder. There's no control there. There's nothing there that's actually steering it. when a storm comes up, it's literally at the mercy of everything it's experiencing. So think about trials now, like a storm on the ocean. Now think about living your life just tossed back and forth because you'd actually don't believe God's there. You don't believe there's a reason. You don't really believe he's there to help you. You don't, you, don't, you don't believe that even if you ask for wisdom, he's going to come through. He's not quick enough, right? And so constantly you're going back and forth between these opinions. It says this in the next few verses, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Real faith, when life hurts, they're still not getting it. Not only does it doesn't doubt, but it's not described as something that's double-minded. It's not double-minded. 
It's the idea of serving two masters, right? I serve God over here, but I serve worldliness over here. I I know I should trust God here, but when real life comes, struggles come, I really believe this is what I need. I believe this is what helps. There's a lot of worldly powers in the life that I'd rather, like I feel more comforted and I feel more hope and I feel like really is going to help my situation. And so I'm constantly going back, but I know I should pray God's too slow. It's not really going to show up. It's the spiritual thing. Yeah, it sounds good. But when my experience comes to life, he's not really there to help. You know, I don't really ever see him doing miracles like he's done before. And so like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta turn to this, right? Double minded. That's the, the example back and forth, back and forth. Unstable. It's an unstable way to live. That's what it's like being on the sea. That's when trials come along. That's, that it is, it, that's what life feels like, doesn't it? Like with, that's, that's not an example of like you don't have the power to go through it and you're, something's wrong with you. It's an example that maybe you're tr- not trusting God. He's given you every reason to believe and he's there with you. And if you're struggling to understand all this, he's like, just, just, just ask me for wisdom. But when you ask, you have to come to me You have to first come to me in faith. That's what pleases me. You need to come to faith knowing that I'm the one who can supply everything you need. And trust me. If you sense any doubt in your prayer, then ask me for help with that and I'll help with that. James is showing us how life tests us to expose what faith is inside of us. And it's worth spending time over. The reason it's worth it is because one day we all will stand before God in judgment. And we want to have the confidence, the confidence that we'll stand before him with a clean conscience, knowing that though there are sins and failures in our life, they're completely forgiven because we lived our life in faith. And James is here to help us with that. It's not double-minded. I want to show you a verse. It's in Ephesians. I have it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 through 14. We went through Ephesians a couple years ago. Look what Paul says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, James comes in and says, yep, one of the ways that happens is trials. To the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. Oh, mature. God wants me to be mature. That's right. Again, his purpose, the reason he's left me here before the foundations of the world predestined me, knew me and put me here on this earth to be conformed to the image of his son. That's my purpose. And he's going to bring that about in me through these trials. So I got to go through it and ask God for wisdom and trust him all along the way and go through the pain and let him grow me and see the joy in it. See what he's doing. And James is saying to Paul, yes, 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 yes. And this is how he does it. So that we may no longer be children, right? Immaturity tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's another side of what Paul is bringing to this. The reason it's so important to grasp James, to spend time growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, trusting him is because what's at stake is your faith. And what, what's going on in the world is there's an enemy who's lurking constantly by cunning and craftiness, just like in the garden, who's trying to deteriorate in your mind, your belief about God. It happens all over the place. 
And Paul's saying, man, we can't be churches that are just stuck right here in this immaturity where we're constantly being tossed by every wind of doctrine. We don't know what to believe. There's a lot of false teachers out there, a lot of false teaching, a lot of evil intended powers of darkness that are always constantly trying to pull your devotion away from Christ, which is why one of our pillars is spiritual growth. We want to, as best as we can, try to present every member of the church mature in Jesus, not, not because we're trying to hit some metric, because there's actually a point to it. So let me bring it back. How do we get there? James is saying, hey, listen, one of these things that are happening in life every single day that seems so inconvenient, that seems so frustrating, the trials and the hardships you go around, man, God's using that for this wonderful, beautiful, powerful purpose, bringing you through suffering and through pain, which would exist if you didn't believe in Jesus. But when you know Jesus, he gives every bit of that purpose and he won't waste any bit of pain in your life. Every tear you cry, everything God's going to use in a beautiful, powerful way. Didn't your salvation come through the suffering of my son? What am I going to do through you? And you take the humility to go through all the trials in your life. And you seek my face and you trust me. And you let me do my work in you. I can't wait to show you how you're going to help others. How you're going to glorify me. And how that thing that you're going through that seems pointless now is going to be such a beautiful thing that you're going to look back in your past and say, I'm glad that happened. I see what God's doing. And how comforting it is to know that, wow, I went through that. I went through that and I seem to love Jesus more. Yeah, that's a sign you're actually a believer. That's a sign you have real faith. That's something God's giving you on this side of earth to give you confidence that when you sleep at night, that if you were to die tonight, that you'll look at him and you'll be able to say, man, I'm yours and you're not going to cast me away. I'm not going to fall in judgment because I passed the test. I kept the faith through it all. And God is so gracious and generous to give us these things. But he's trying to renew our mind to see it this way because our perspective is so much like this. He comes along and he's trying to give us the wisdom we need to see these things. And he's even so good to say, when you lack the wisdom, I'm not coming around. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Come on. I've, I've, you heard that sermon. You've read that scripture. You've been there a thousand times. You should know this by now. No, no, no. He's like, Hey, yeah, you're lacking wisdom. I know I'm even here for every single moment in your life. When you lack wisdom, you ask me, I'm going to give it to you without approach. I'm standing ready and willing. There's never a moment of your life where you should think that I've turned my face away from you. And I'm somehow frustrated that you're not getting this. I understand exactly what you went through. My son experienced what it was like to be on earth in the bodies. I'm very sympathetic to all of that. You come to me and you ask me, I'm going to give it to you. Just like I gave my son freely. I love you so much. Do you believe that about God? When you go to pray, you think, think, about, think about what you think about God when you go to pray. That's what God's like. His spirit is there with you. God's constantly trying to alter what you believe about him to match up to how he really is. Brother, sister, what are you going through? What trial are you going through? If you're struggling to understand all of this, today's message, simply go to God in faith and ask him to give you the wisdom. And he will. Let's pray. Father, you're better than we deserve, better than we even know. And Father, even in this preparation, as I was convicted thinking about how it seems like I doubt you more than I trust you, how in those dark moments I tend to look at you in a wrong way, 
and my prayers manifest this distrust. God, how patient you are with me. And how when I ask for you to help to give me the wisdom that I'm lacking, you give it in your timing and in such a gentle way. Father, there are so many painful things going on in life right now. Help us to see this spiritual battle to pull our devotion away from you and motivate our hearts to go through it with you, trusting you all along the way. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Help Summit Church to be a light in the community. God, help us to lay down our lives for you and for one another. We pray this all in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.